Amen. Open up with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm glad that you have come to worship and pray and get into the Word. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, today's message is walk as Jesus walked. Walk as Jesus walked. Go ahead and take some good notes today. I'm going to give you some homework. This is good homework, amen? Because I'm going to go through the whole book of John with you over the next couple of weeks. I don't know how long it will take. It may take one or two weeks, or at least uh, two weeks. So whatever I don't get to today, I want you to get to on your own as you read this week. Put up at the top of your notes, walk as Jesus walked. And we're looking at the first epistle of John, not the gospel of John. Those of you who have been reading your Bible a little bit, there's actually four Johns. There is the gospel of John, and then there is the first, second, and third epistle of John. Now, the John that we're talking about right here is the disciple of Jesus. John was the youngest disciple of Jesus. Most people believe that John was a teenager when he met Jesus. He was the brother of um, James. If you remember correctly, he was a fisherman along with Peter. Peter and Andrew were brothers, and John and James were brothers. Well, John was the younger brother. And he was the younger man out of all of the disciples. But if you remember about John, him and his brother were called sons of thunder. Does anybody remember why they were called sons of thunder? Because they wanted to bring judgment down on the places that didn't receive Jesus. One time they were traveling with Jesus and Jesus was not received in a city. And uh, John and James said, should we call down fire, O God, like Elijah did and kill all of these Gentile sinners? And Jesus is like, no, no, we're not doing that yet. Armageddon's a long way off, guys. And though, uh, though they had that, you know, real uh, extreme passion, they also really loved Jesus, these brothers, because in the community of Jesus, there was always thousands of people following him. Now, these thousands of people we call the crowd. Everybody say the crowd. And if you want to make some circles on your notes right now, I want to teach you a little bit about Jesus right here. There, put a big circle and put the crowd Then draw another circle on the inside and say the questioning. There were people inside the crowd that didn't really care about Jesus. They came to mock, do whatever. Then there were the questioners. They came to be with him and kind of ask questions. Then there were the committed, the people who said, I'm committed. I'll draw another little circle. So you're going to keep going in like a bullseye. And then into the committed, he had the disciples. And then the disciples, he had the three intimate. So it would be the crowd, the questioning. The committed, the disciple, the intimates. You see, you could be on the outside but not close to Jesus. You could be around here just hanging out, not even really paying attention. You can get a little closer to Jesus and just kind of be questioning. You're seeking. You can get to the point where you're saying, I'm committed. I want to do this. Then you can go to the next point and say, I want to live and die for this. I'm a disciple. Then you can go to the next point and say, I cannot live unless Jesus is in my life every moment. I want to be so intimate with him. In the life of Jesus, he always had the crowd. These were the 5,000, 10,000 people he would feed at different times. The questioning people were like the Jews who just came and asked their questions and tried to cause problems. The committed were the people around him that actually loved him and wanted to do what he said. The disciples were the 12 specific people he called out, these 12. He said, these ones right here, I'm going to make you disciples. And then the intimate was John, this brother right here, Peter, and John's brother Andrew. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you remember a story of Jesus going to the mountain, he transfigures. He took on flesh when he came to this earth and he veiled his glory. But one time on earth, he goes to a mountain and he shows his divine glory. He only took three people with him. Who were those three? Peter, James, and John. Are you with me? You see, John was one of the most intimate people with Jesus. Let me tell you another story. One time they went to go cast out, uh, or rather raise somebody from the dead. The, the crowd didn't have anything good to do with it. The questioning people were just questioning. Even the committed people weren't ready. The disciples weren't sure. So he said, I'm only going to take the intimate people with me, Peter, James, and John. He said, you come into the room. And then he raised the dead. Are you listening to me? Now, the one last story about John that makes him so close and intimate out of all of the intimate people He was the only one called the beloved of Jesus. At the Last Supper, everybody's asking, who's going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? And John, this young man, is the one laying his head upon the chest of Jesus. In the King James, it says the bosom. And he asks the Lord, who is it? And Jesus tells him, it's the one I dip my bread with. 
John was the closest one to Jesus on this earth. John knew Jesus more than anybody else. There was nobody else. His, people say Mary knew Jesus, his mother. No, 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 no. John was closer. John was with him and went places that nobody else went. And even at the last moments of Jesus' life, when all the disciples fled, there was only one disciple at his feet. Who was that? That was John. That was the disciple that Jesus looked down to and said to his mother, Mary, he said, Mary, this is your son. And he said to John, this is your mother, because in that culture, someone had to take care of the family. He entrusted his own family to John. Hello. Now, when you read the first gospels of the Bible, Matthew, Mark and Luke, Matthew was a disciple. Mark was a disciple of Peter. So he basically got his information from Peter and Luke was a disciple of Paul and he got his information from traveling. When you read them, all of those gospels, they start off basically with genealogies. Jesus as a boy. This is how he lived. This is how he got baptized. This is what he did. Takes you through a lot of different uh, events. John starts off in the first chapter. Jesus is God. The very first chapter, he says the very first verse, verse, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. By John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, and this word came manifest and dwelt among us. And in John 1, 18, it says, no one has seen the Father, but we have seen God the Son. He's the one who wrote the most popular verse in the Bible known all around the world today, John 3:16. No other gospel records those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Are you all with me? Now this John, the beloved, the intimate, the close one of Jesus is also called the pastor of love. Everybody say pastor of love. Maybe you might call me the pastor of love. Amen. Because all of his writings deal with love. You would think that it would, because if he was so close to Jesus, he would have loved like Jesus. And he would really love Jesus. Amen? Loving God, loving people. I'm saying all of this to say this, because now when he begins to write not the life story of Jesus, which is a gospel, but when he begins to write his epistle, which is a teaching letter, there is no other book in the Bible that has more of a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. You see, as you begin to read this book in the Bible, you will hear things that you have never heard up until this point. That means if you started with Matthew and you read all the way to this point, you would not have heard anything like this until you got right here. And this is right before the end of the Bible. Remember, he also read, he, John also was the one who wrote the book of Revelations. Jesus gave John the last revelation of who he was. That's how special John was, and he was the last one to live, figuring being the youngest, but he didn't get martyred like everybody else. He was the only disciple not to get martyred. This is how special John is, and as we begin to read this book, you are going to hear things that may shock you, things that you may say to yourself, how could God say these words? I thought God was a God of love. Well, here's one thing you don't have to miss uh, a doubt is that God is love. And that God loves you, and he loves the world, has a plan for you. But you're going to see a line drawn in the sand so clearly today that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves me, and God is awesome. But if I do not love and obey his commands, I am a child of the devil. You will hear that more clearly than you've ever heard it before. He draws the line so clear. And I want you to know why I believe he did so. Because he loved Jesus and he didn't want people lying on who Jesus was. He didn't want people, uh, you know, misconstruing and, and taking and twisting Jesus' teachings. He loved him so much he wanted the relationship that others would have with Jesus to be as pure and as holy as his relationship was. He wanted people to fall in love with Jesus, the real Jesus, the way he did. Amen? If you're ready, say amen. Walk as Jesus walked. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read the Bible today. That which was from the beginning. I loved John. He don't even mess around greeting. You know, Paul was like, hey, guys, how y'all doing? Grace and peace. He's just like, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see, you always have to understand he don't even call Jesus Jesus half the time because he understands before Jesus was ever given that earthly name, he was always the word, the son of God, the divine, Trin the divine second person of the Trinity. Are you with me? He says the word of life, the life appears. We have seen it 
and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, eternal life here is not even just a thing. It's a person. He says eternal life was with the Father and then appeared to us. See, the Word is not just black and white letters on a page. He says the Word is a person. Oh, come on, y'all got to get that today. You see, God is so big that what he holds in his concept is actually who he is. So when you start having uh, dreams and concepts of God, Jesus encompasses all of that. You can't, you can't have an imagination, you know, a divine imagination that's outside of who Jesus is. You, you can't get to the end of who he is. The Bible says you can't even imagine how great his love is, how great his character is. So he has to take on these, uh, these titles like word. He has to take on these titles like eternal life because he's not just a man. He's the divine son of God. Just think about that sometime, that the eternal life is a person which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you. What we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. You see, there's his point right there. He says, I'm telling you all this, that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Here he goes, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You see, the first thing is that you have to learn is that Jesus was always with the Father in heaven. Before he ever came to this earth, he was always with the Father. God is one being but three persons. One being, three persons. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Father has always been in love with his Son. And that the Holy Spirit has always adored the Father and the Son. The Bible says that the Son is the very thought, word, action, of the Father, that He represents everything who the Father is. If you want to understand how great the love of the Father is, you find it in Jesus. If you want to know how wise the Father is, how powerful He is, you find it in Jesus. All the good things of the Father are found in Jesus. That's what I was just talking about before. Every concept of God is in Jesus. It's embodied in Him. The Bible actually says the fullness of deity is in Him. Now, the Bible also says that no one sees the Father, but they only see the Son. So in all the stories of the Old Testament, this is what you call the pre-incarnation visitations of Jesus Christ. All the times you see man interacting with God, it's always Jesus. Let's say you see Abraham on the plains of Mamre, and Abraham sees God coming to him with three visitors. That is Jesus. Because no one ever saw the Father. Jesus was always the one mediating between God and man. Are you with me? The burning bush. Mountain experience that Moses had. Who was that? It was Jesus speaking on behalf of the Father. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that there is one God and that there is man. And there is only one mediator between man and God. The man Christ Jesus. And the Bible also says that when Jesus was on the earth, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you learn right here. That he appeared unto us. John is saying that he came down to be with us. He took on flesh so that we could eat with him. We could talk with him. We could shake his hand. We could wash his feet. And the Bible says he did this so that eternal life might appear to us. So what is eternal life? Jesus even said it himself in John 17, that they may know the Father and know him. He said this is eternal life, that people may know you and me, Father. Do you know that's what eternal life is, knowing God? Eternal life doesn't just start when you die. Some people think, well, I'll have eternal life when I die. No, eternal life starts right now. Because a life that is bigger than your life is the life that God has for you. And the life that he has for you is a relationship. The Bible says he appears, he appeared unto them. And the Bible says that John believed in him, touched him, and testified of him. And now, right here at the end of his life, John is writing these things to you so that his joy can be complete. He's saying, I get happy when other people love Jesus. He's saying, I get happy when people decide to follow Christ. He's saying right here, my, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And you are fellowshipping with us. So what he is saying to his, his, the people he's writing to, he's saying, fellowship with us, the disciples, and then fellowship with the Father and the Son. If you do that, he said, as a pastor, as a leader, as a disciple, he's saying, my joy gets complete. Now, my word to you today, Metro Praise, everybody here, visitors. You need to believe in Jesus Christ for who he is. 
He's more than just that Dito in a manger, that small little baby. He was always the eternal son of God in heaven, the word of life, the eternal life. There he was. He came down to be with us so that he might die. The son of God came to die for you and I. And he rose from the dead so that you might have fellowship with him and his father. That's life. If all you have is a job, you're not going to have eternal life. If all you have is a family, you're not going to have eternal life. If all you have is religion, studying books about God, you're not going to have eternal life. The only way you can have eternal life that goes beyond the breath that you breathe and your heart beating, the only way your soul and spirit live on forever is if here on this planet you learn to fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's the only way. And the Bible says when you do that, you will have joy and you will feel completion in your life. Amen? Because just as John was saying, I write this so that our joy may be complete, he also knows that your joy will be complete. If you participate in this process, your life will be complete. How many know what I'm talking about? That before you came to Jesus, your life didn't feel complete. But now with Jesus, your life is complete. You know why? Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about the life that you live is is about the Father and the Son. Fellowship with God through them. Are you listening to me? And the Bible says that's eternal life. If you believe it, say amen. Praise God. Now look at verse 5. Now he's going to talk about the message he got from Jesus. This is the message we have heard from him, talking about Jesus, and declare to you. Okay, tell us the message, John. You were with him all the time. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. You see, there it gets right up in your face. It's tight, but it's right. Amen? You see, he's going to start saying all types of illustrations like that. Just keep paying attention right here. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. That's the message. That's the message in a nutshell. And what you're going to see through the rest of the five chapters of 1 John is that he just keeps repeating that over and over and over again. That God is light. That the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one God, the three persons, is perfect light. There is no shadow in heaven. A shadow is something covering the light that then produces a place where the light doesn't come. And it's like, you know, a blocking of this light coming here. And now this shadow is showing you that there's a brightness here, but a darkness here. There's nothing like that in heaven. Everything is perfectly bright. Everything. Every person is perfectly holy. Every angel is perfectly holy. Are you listening to me? You see, John got that message from Jesus. See, Jesus declared unto him, God is perfect. Holiness, living perfect, is what you were created to do, but you fell into sin. See, Jesus taught him about that. And Jesus taught him that if you say now you love my Father, and yet you live in darkness, you are a liar. Come on, think about that. If somebody has shadows in their life, darkness in their life, and they say they're living with the perfect light of heaven, they're a liar. Now he begins to say, if anybody says, I don't have sins, then they're another type of liar. And then he brings you the perfect balance. Here's the balance. If you say, I don't have shadows in my life, you're a liar. Because these are shadows and darkness is what brings you to his light. But now that you have admitted your darkness, your shadows, and you come to him, if he is not changing you and shining his light in you and continually forgiving you of those sins and continually shining brighter and brighter, then you are a liar. So ask yourself this question. Let's apply it to our lives. First of all, have you ever admitted in your life that you are a sinner? Did you ever admit in your life that darkness was in your life and that you needed the light of God? I was talking to a young lady yesterday on the streets, and she was saying, I believe we're all God's. 
I believe every one of us is a son of God. Come on, I mean, that's crazy. That's how people think today, right? She was saying, Jesus and I are like the same. She says, you're like Jesus. You help people, I help people. She said, that's all Jesus did. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Her heart is full of darkness. Jesus's was full of light. That's the first truth. You've got to get that. Everyone has to come to God if they want eternal life, if they want fellowship with him, and admit, I'm in darkness. The second thing is, now that you're admitting that you're in darkness and you're saying, okay, I'm a sinner, is Jesus Christ shining his perfect light in your heart, and is he taking away your shadows? Or are you still walking around with shadows in your life saying, I'm in the perfect light? Because think about this. When you're walking around and you're showing the world shadows, you're actually making them think that the light is not perfect. You see, it's not the fault of this uh, platform or this pulpit, rather, that means there's a shadow. It just means there's not enough light in here. Are you with me? If this place had light, you know, these type of ceiling lights, every single panel was light, you flip this on, you would hardly see a shadow in here. Are you guys with me? You see, it's not this fault. We're saying it's this fault right here. But really, the Bible says it's you that lets in the amount of light. But you see, the world doesn't understand that. That's why he says you're a liar. He says because when you walk around the world and people see your bad attitude, people see you sinning at home, husbands, wives, children with your parents, if, if, the, if people begin to see these sins in your life in these areas that are not changing, then people are going to begin to say, well, how are you a Christian? How are you living for God? You said you're supposed to be perfect. You said you're supposed to be living for God. And then the Bible says that people confuse the gospel. And, then, and that's why John had to say you are a liar. That means when I look at people's lives, I shouldn't point out, I shouldn't be able to point out sin. You might say, well, does that, does that mean they've never sinned? No, but that just means that they've sinned, they're forgiven, and they're living right. You see, you may not believe that, but it's going to get a lot more clearer than that. Look at 1 John chapter 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. Look at verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Uh-oh, there's the point. Well, I thought we were supposed to keep sinning so we could be forgiven. <clears throat> Excuse me, I thought that Jesus died so I could keep sinning. Jesus died so that you wouldn't sin anymore. Jesus died so that your life would change. D Jesus died and rose from the dead so that light would totally encompass you. Look what he says. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Father Mike at St. Mary's Church at Confession. Is that what it says? Does it say the one that speaks to the Father on your defense is Father Mike? Then why do people go to a man to have confession to get their sins forgiven? Don't believe that. The Bible says the one that speaks to the Father in our defense is the Holy Virgin Mary, a mother of Guadalupe, a mother Mary of Guadalupe. Is that what it says? I just want to know what the Bible says. Amen? It says the one who speaks to the Father in our defense is Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful name? Somebody say, Jesus Christ. You're not swearing or taking it in vain. Give Him glory. Say, Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So how do you live right? You live right by confessing your sins to Jesus. If you should stumble and fall, sin's no longer in your life if you confess it. So you're saying, Joe, we're all sinners. I'm not a sinner anymore. I've been born again, cleansed. I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. You know, let's say you had a bad day. You know, maybe uh, you got dirty. You know, you got dirty. Your clothes were dirty. Something happened. You spilled some food as you were eating. Okay. You, you could say, I'm dirty, but eventually you're going to clean up, right? Now, if somebody comes up to you and says, you're dirty. You're just a dirty boy or dirty girl. You know what I'm saying? You're going to say, no, I'm not dirty. I kind of clean. I got new stuff on, right? That's the way it is with us. Every time we sin, we can be made clean and perfect in God's eyes. That's salvation. Salvation is the continual uh, cleansing and washing away of your sin so that there is never the darkness. You see, some people look at salvation like this. Like you're that old 58 Chevy, you know, and you're just broke, busted, and disgusted, and tore up from the floor up, need a checkup from the neck up, right? 
and, 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 and this, maybe this show, you know, like car renovators, whatever, finds you, you're a 58 Chevy in a junkyard, and then that's considered being born again. Is now you be, you're brought to the garage, and then for the rest of your life, you become worked on, and right when you die, you become that beautiful 58 Chevy. See, that's how sometimes people look at life, like God's working on me. Oh, he's working on me. No, no, no. Salvation is the moment you confess your sin. You become a Porsche 911. That day. The Bible says that day. The Bible says that day you're a new creation in Christ. So it's not like you're trying to be a better person. No, you were made the perfect child of God by his righteousness the day you were saved. You were as if you never sinned. That's what the Bible means to be justified. If you write out the word justified the way we learned it in theology class was just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. So you start off being born again, pure, holy, living for God. But as I told you before, you have stinking thinking. So you may sin. You may pollute the pure water like I showed you in another example. You may pollute that. But the Bible says the moment you confess, you're pure again. He washes off the dirt of that 9-11. Are you listening to me? And it's pure again. It's not like you're just this junky car and God's just working on you, working on you. And just one day, one day I might make it. One day I might get my little engine to run, you know. No, it's like the day you can say that's who you are. So you need to know who you are in Christ. Because the other way is actually making Christ out to be a liar. You see, Christ doesn't have to take 20 years to get an attitude out of your life. The moment you got saved, he took the attitude out. You and I just haven't realized it yet. We haven't tapped into the power yet. So don't look at yourself as I'm a dirty sinner going through life trying to get better, trying to get better. And Jesus is just there, you know, working on me, working on me. No, the Bible says you're a new creation. So when you sin, what are you doing? You're denting the car. You're hurting yourself. You're putting yourself right back in the place where God found you. And the Bible says if you keep sinning, you'll go right back to the junkyard of the devil and wreck your whole life again. And the Bible actually uses that illustration. And obviously they didn't have cars back then, but they had ships. And Paul says Hymenius and Alexander have shipwrecked their faith. They, they wrecked it. Here God took them out, made them a beautiful yacht, a beautiful boat for Jesus, and then they just started sinning, they started believing lies, and they shipwrecked the whole thing. You see, live for Jesus every day. Desire purity because it's yours. The Bible says if you sin, He is your forgiving, atoning sacrifice. Amen? Because now these verses apply to your life. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know Him. If we obey his commands, there it is. Remember that. Remember that your whole life. John is actually the one who records the other version of this in the book of John where he quotes Jesus saying, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? Obey my commands. See, he remembered that. See, now he's not quoting Jesus like in the gospel. Now he's teaching what Jesus said, but it's the same very words. You see, John knew what Jesus talked about. He said, if we uh, know him, we obey his commands. Verse 4. Now look at the, you know, the comparison. Watch it right here. The man who says, I know him. So there's a person out there that can say, I know him. I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands. Is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love, everybody say God's love, is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. There you get the message for today. Walk as Jesus did. Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. Walk as Jesus did. Look at your neighbor and say, one, two, three. Walk as Jesus did. Amen. What did John just teach us? Now the most simplest concept. Anybody can talk about it. Anybody can watch a football game and say, I can throw better than this guy. I can run better than this guy. But if they don't do it, they're just talking. Hello? Anybody can come to church on Sunday and say, I love God. Anybody can do the sign of the cross, take a wafer, carry a Bible, shout hallelujah and metro praise. Anybody can do that. But that doesn't mean you love God. Like they taught us way back when. It's not how high you jump and how loud you shout. It's how straight you walk when you get out the church. Amen? Because we've had some loud jumpers and shouters up in this church, but their life is messed up. 
God is not looking for the appearance of religion. I'm so holy. Little halo around our head. No, God is watching how we walk and talk. He judges by our actions, by our deeds, by our thoughts. So today, here's my message to you. All of you who say you know him, live like him. Because otherwise you're a liar. See, there, there is no but there. The way I like to talk about it is a lot of people need to go on slim fast and get rid of their butt. Because once they hear, it says the man who says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commands is a liar. All of a sudden somebody goes, but let me tell you son, pastor. I'm not perfect. Nobody was perfect. And I say, well, Jesus just said, you know, of course you can confess your sins and be cleansed. But you don't know how it is for me. I'm sorry to keep showing you my butt, but I got to show you how people keep getting their big old butt in the way. People need to get on slim fast and get that big old butt out the way. Jesus is just looking for amen. He's not looking for the butt, but, oh, you don't know how, how I live. You don't know but where my family's from, but what I've been through. Just get your big old butt out the way, amen. He said if you know him, you keep his commands. That goes for teenagers in high school, and people want to show you little dirty magazines. People want you to play these violent video games. Keep his commands if you know him. That goes for adults when your, your, your coworkers want to tell you dirty jokes. Don't laugh because it's not funny, okay? Because you know him, amen? Women, when people want to gossip, and ladies, you want to maybe uh, try to look like so-and-so and then go in debt spending money on your appearance. Don't believe that because you know him, Amen? You see, we need to believe what God says, period. There's no buts here. He doesn't make a room for anybody to make an excuse. Well, I was born this way. Well, my family is this way. Well, I deal with sin differently than you deal with sin. No, if you know him, you keep his commands. When do you start? The moment you know him. Amen. You know when I stopped dating other women? The moment I got in a relationship with my wife. That's when I stopped dating other women. This, this is not, you know, like going out with three different women. This is not like being a pimp with Jesus. Well, I got Jesus, and I got a little bit of alcohol on the side, and I got a little bit of my friends on the side. No, the Bible says you're an adulteress when you live like that. If you love him, you know him, and if you know him, you keep his commands. Amen? And then you will walk as he walked. Why were we called Christians? We never named ourselves Christians. You know, the early church didn't put a big banner on their door. We're Christians. Come to, come to our church. The first people that called the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, Christians, was the world, non-Christian. And they pointed at them, and they said, these are little miniature Christs. That's what Christian means, a little Christ. You're a little miniature Christ. You are a person that reminds somebody of Jesus. That's what that word means. But how many know today in our culture that's not what it means? People can say all day long, I'm a Christian, but not walk like him, not talk like him. And according to John, what are they? Amen. Let's say it one more time. It's all right to say liar, liar, pants on fire. All right. What are they? One, two, three. They are liars. Amen. Look at verse 7. Dear friends. I love John. Look how nice of a guy he was. So he's like in chapter 2, verse 1, my dear old children, mijos and mijas, you know, and then now he's like, my gente, dear children, dear friends. I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. See, there ain't nothing new he's talking about. Look at this. He says, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. So these people heard it. Yet I am writing you a new command. Okay. What is this new command? Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There it is right there. The darkness is passing away in your life, in my life, in this nation's life. And one day God will finally come here and judge this whole world. That's what he's talking about. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother is, or whoever loves his brother lives in light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. What is John saying right here? There is a new commandment because somehow these people did not get it. The new commandment for them is love people. Somehow these guys were loving God so much that they started making excuses to why they could hate each other. 
And he says, I've got to give you a new commandment. And I actually believe right here he's being a little bit sarcastic. I believe his way of saying new is a reminder of what you've already even known because everybody already knew you had to love your neighbor. If they had read his gospel, Jesus always talked about loving people, but it had to become new to them. And here's the thing that I have to share with you right now, that if you have hatred in your heart towards anybody, you cannot be a Christ follower. I know in this church we emphasize loving people so much, so maybe it's not as forgotten as it was for them, but it's good for me to remind you that you and I cannot hate each other. You and I cannot be bitter towards each other. You and I cannot gossip and slander. If you ever hear anybody doing that, you need to get away from them, shut them down, tell them you want nothing to do with that. Because the Bible says that if you say you love God but don't love your brother, you're another type of a liar. Because the Bible says now you're in darkness. And let me give you an example of how you know if you love even your enemies. Is if I said right now, pray for your enemies and bless them. If you could not bless your enemies right now, if you're like, I couldn't do that, then you have hatred in your heart. Even your worst enemies, Jesus on the cross being crucified, what did he say to his enemies? Father, for what? Come on. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't see anybody here with nail prints. I don't see anybody with 49 lashes on, uh, 39 lashes on their back. If Jesus could forgive betrayers and liars and people who spit on him and whipped him and beat him, there's no excuse why you can't forgive your coworker, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. Come on, somebody, your old best friend, that old boyfriend. You, you, you have to forgive everybody. Jesus talked about in his parables, he says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. The comparison that he gives is that when man sins against each other, it's like us owing each other just a couple dollars. Like if I sin against you, it's like, it's like I would owe you a dollar to pay you back for that sin. But the Bible says in our relation to him, our debt to him is billions of dollars. So he forgives us of our billion, of billion dollar worth of sin, all of the crude things we've done, all of the thoughts we've thought every day of lust and perversion, all the things we've done. He's forgiven us of this billion dollar debt of, forgive, uh, of sin, but then we can't go ahead and forgive somebody of one offense, one dollar worth of sin. Are you all listening? And the Bible says if you can't give that much forgiveness that I'm giving to you to others, then he says you're not, you're not a child of God. He says right here, now you're going to stumble in all you do. The darkness will blind you. And that's such a word for us today where people hate. And we see hatred everywhere. And it blinds them. Hatred blinds people. But you are to walk in the light. Somebody say, I love my brother. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Amen. Come on. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now look at verse 12. Learning from John today. I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So he's going to give you a couple categories right here. He's basically going to go from children to fathers, children to fathers. But it really applies to everybody. Verse 12, I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And what's his name, people? Come on, shout it out in the back row. Just the back row right here. What is his name? Amen. You got some help, but I wanted to see the back row. Thank you. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know that you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. If you have the NIV, you see this in a little bit different of a writing format, like it's indented. Is because the NIV tries to show you different literary forms. Right here, this is like a poem or a psalm. In their day, this would be like a hymn. They would sing this to God or to each other. This would be what they would sing about. Dear children, you've been forgiven because you know him. Isn't that a wonderful song, a wonderful poem? I mean, it may not rhyme like the way we're used to it today, but in their day, that, that was a wonderful poem for them to say to each other, we've been forgiven. We've known him from the beginning. We've overcome the evil one. Look at this right here. The word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I challenge you to wake up every day and to quote these, to memorize these. Today I overcome the evil one. 
I overcome all that's in my life against me today. I will shine with him. I am forgiven. I am today a a child of God. These are the things that they would sing and talk about. Amen? I want to remind you to do that. Worship God every day of your life. Worship God. Tell him how awesome he is. Talk about what he's done for you. There's a song that we used to sing in here during communion. haven't sung it in a while. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm trying to sing. (laughs) You know, uh, what's the next part? I'm accepted. You were condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. That's what they're talking about. This is worship to God. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of where you came from. Sometimes you have to just profess who God is. Sometimes you may not feel forgiven. You may have committed a sin. You feel so guilty. Sometimes you have to say, I know I'm forgiven on account of his name. You have to just come back and just say it right to the devil, right to yourself. I'm forgiven on account of his name. I overcome. You got to say it. Somebody say, I overcome. You see, sometimes you just got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I overcome. You got to encourage one another. You overcome. Look at your neighbor and say, you're an overcomer. The evil one is brought up right there because the evil one comes to conquer, but Jesus conquered him. Amen. Praise God. Let's go on to verse 15. One of my favorite passages, and I recommend everybody, if I could pick out a place to memorize in the lesson we're going through today, this would be a passage I would ask everybody to memorize. My second favorite would be uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, that if you confess uh, your sin, the righteous one will forgive you, Jesus. But now in verse 15, is probably my favorite out of this whole book. Here it is. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, you, everybody say love. Now, he's the pastor of what? What was he known as the pastor of? Love. Now, look at how he uses love right here. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God does what? Lives forever. You see, right here, I love John so much because he talks about love. I love that he talks about love. Amen? Here he talks about it right here in such a simple way. If you love the world, you cannot have the love of the Father. It's like, which one do you want? You can't serve two masters. You can't. Love two masters. The Bible says you love one and hate the other and then hate the one and love the other. You cannot love the world and say I'm loving God. Now, if you're kind of quick on your thinking feet and you can kind of catch this, you might realize he talked about the world before, but in John 3.16 it was a little bit different. He says, for God so loved the world. But now he's saying in this John, uh, his epistle, he's saying don't love the world. He's a Quick question to think about. What's the difference between the world of John 3.16 and the John of 1 John 2, verse 15? The difference is the world in John 3.16 is people. The world in John 2.16, 15 and 16, is the evil that people do. There's the difference. Some people say, where, where does the Bible talk about loving sin and, uh, uh, loving sin? The Bible doesn't talk about loving sin. Uh, where does the Bible talk about loving sinners but hating sin? This is where you get the idea. God so loved the world. He didn't love drugs. He didn't love alcohol. He didn't love rape. He didn't love, uh, you know, uh, child molestation. He didn't love abortion. He didn't love homosexuality. He hates all of that. So when it says God so loved the world, he's talking about Charles and Vanessa and Augie and Berto. Hello, somebody. And he's not talking about the Discovery Channel either, loving trees and bees and beavers and all of these other things. Amen. That they'll, they'll, they'll kill babies, but they won't kill the whales. The Bible says the fool said in his heart there's no God. Amen. They exchanged God for a lie. They exchanged God for a whale. Come on, somebody. I don't know if anybody's ever seen Discovery. I'm telling on myself, though, aren't I? I watch Animal Planet and these things. I just can't believe how much they love dogs and cats and crazy things. Amen? 
He's not talking about the world in that sense. In John 3.16, he's saying, I love people. God loves people. He sent his son to die for people. But now the warning here in John 2.15 and 16 is don't love what people do in this world. And now he defines what that is. He says, anything in the world is like this, cravings of sinful man. Lust of his eyes and boasting of what he has. Put this down right now in your notes. One, two, three. This is what it means to love the world. Number one, to have cravings in your sinful nature. The King James says, lust of the flesh. Meaning on the inside of you, even though your spirit and soul have been changed, your flesh and your mind still will crave evil things. A married man in his flesh can still crave a woman that is not his wife. The Bible says if you love that, you can't have the love of the Father. If you allow your sinful cravings to take over you, you cannot have what God has for you. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. This is where man sees all that he wants, and he lusts after it. I have to have that car. I have to have that house. I have to have this much education. I have to have my family look like this comparison to somebody else's family. You see, the Bible says even good things can become bad things when you lust after them. When you lust after notoriety, when you lust after success, when you lust after power and money, and you lust after those things, what your eyes see, you want that promotion so bad, you crave it. You lust after it. You'll compromise to get it. You'll quit coming to church to have it. Hello, somebody. He says, when your eyes draw you into lust and cravings, you can't have the love of the Father. You cannot. There is no way somebody can have the lust of their eyes. They want all of this world and what it has to offer and still have God at the same time. And the third thing is, is it's the boasting of what he has and does. The King James calls it the pride of life. The pride of life, the middle letter of pride is I, where life revolves around you, and it's all about what you do and who you are. Religion is a form of pride. Well, I pray, I do this, I didn't, you do in such a boasting way. You have pride. You won't have God, but you'll have your religion. Hello? There's a lot of religious people that are in hell right now. The Jewish people of Jesus' day were so religious, they killed Jesus. Another form of pride is self-pity. I won't give you two forms of pride. I'm going to tell you the the two-sided stick of pride. The first side of, uh, of pride is to make yourself bigger than who you are in God's eyes. Like Satan, he said, I can be as God. I can be worshiped as God. These are the people that you see that always boast of what they have in that way. They always brag. They want to be better than everybody else. That is one form of pride. The other form of pride on the other side is low self-esteem, saying that you're nothing, that you're a nobody. You see, because God didn't make us to be boastful and prideful and to be worshipped as God. And God didn't make us to be lowly little ants and worms. He created us right in the middle in his perfect image to live and bless and glorify him. So if you find yourself getting into a pity patty party, that's pride. Get away from that. If you find yourself getting into this magnifying who you are, that's pride. Just stay right in the middle. Stay right with who God said you were and do what he said you can do and love the life he gave you. Amen? The Bible says be content with what you have. Desire to do good things, but always be content giving glory to God and do all things unto Christ Jesus. Amen? Now look at this concept. And I want to tell everybody in this church today, the world passes away all that man will do in his flesh will pass away all that man can achieve and get with his what he sees with his eyes it will pass away all that man boasts about will pass away i'm just going to confess to you in my times of craving sinful things i try to remind myself of this concept right here i think to myself i can go on the internet i can look at this pornography i can get enticed by these women but when, when it's all over, I will lose my marriage. I will lose the things that I've had blessed from God. And if I continue to live that way, I will go to hell all because of this picture right here. You see, that's the fear of God. A lot of you keep sinning because you don't think of it that way. You keep thinking to yourself, well, I'm just going to come back and repent. But by you willfully sinning, you're walking the line right here where he told you not to walk. He said, don't love it. If you're doing anything of these three things, and these are a part of your life, 
Repent now. Get washed and cleansed now. And anytime you get tempted to come back, remind yourself, this stuff passes away. But now look right here. What I love, watch how he switches doing the will of God with loving God. Because remember at the beginning, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You notice that, right? In verse, uh, at the end of verse 15, if anyone loves the world, loves the Father is not in him. Now look at verse 17. The world and his desires pass away, but the love of God lives in him. No, no, no. Look what it says. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Because in John's mind, loving God and doing his will was the same thing. You notice that? He doesn't just keep saying love, 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 love. No, he switches love with obedience just that quick. You see, if you love the Father, you obey the Father. If you obey the Father, you will love the Father. Those are interchangeable. Can you say amen? Let's look at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. Now, you've got to understand, in John's mind, the time they were living in 2,000 years ago was the beginning of the last days. He literally calls it the last hour. If the last hour of the last days started 2,000 years ago, where do you think we are right now? We are in the last seconds of the last minute. Amen? It's a countdown. And all that you see going on in Israel right now is all prophecy being fulfilled. That is all prophecy what you see right now. So be aware of what's going on. This is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. In the time of John, there was already people saying that I am Jesus or that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And John is calling these people antichrists. He is saying that these people are against Christ. They are coming against who he is. And he says, this is a reminder that we are in the last days. Do you know that right now there's more people against Christ than there's ever been on the entire planet? Well, of course, the planet has grown a lot more since then, so just the sheer number of people would also add to that. But I'm not even just talking about that. I'm talking about people have taken even this name and embraced it. There is a man called the Jesus from Puerto Rico. Has anybody ever seen him on TV? The Jesus from Puerto Rico. He believes he is Jesus, and he was born in Puerto Rico. He lives in Miami, Florida, and he has tattoos of 666 on his uh, arm and his leg, and his members get tattoos of 666, and they say, we are worshiping the Antichrist. And they have a way of twisting it to say Antichrist really means new Christ, but it is so deceptive that right now he has hundreds, if not maybe a few thousand followers. That is how bold and up front the time you're living in right now. Matter of fact, brother, put on Google search engine, Jesus from Puerto Rico. Put that right there. I want to show you guys this picture and how, how crazy this guy looks. Right now you're living in a time where teenagers listen to satanic music. Some of you teenagers need to go on YouTube and listen to that man preaching about where hip-hop comes from. If a lot of you have not heard that, we're not just talking about the, the style itself, but a lot of these artists. How many of you guys have read, uh, watched that YouTube video? Anybody? None of you. Adolfo, I want you to get all of these young guys to watch it. You've never watched the video? Oh, my goodness. I thought you guys had watched that video. You did show them. I want you to show them the whole thing. I want you to give them all the link today. Before you guys go, I want you to watch this. The rappers today that are out there, JC, Jay-Z, calls himself Jehovah. You know, now you know what I'm talking. Okay, you better be watching that. Amen. Go and click on his picture right there. Let's just, is that, just click on this man's picture. If we won't let you click on him, just, I'll tell you, hit his, hit his video. Go down there. You see, go down right there. Click on that right there. And then see if you could turn this up a little bit. This guy believes he is Jesus. See if you get a little bit of volume on there. Now put that up. Commercial. Put it down for the commercial. <laughs> he could tell we didn't plan this. I want you to see this, though, because the Bible talks about Antichrist. Amen? 
Is this another commandment commercial they got on this thing? I want you all to see this because this is how slick it is. It's sick, but it's slick. You'll be surprised that people even follow this man, okay? Don't go to, uh, you can go to Breeze's Resort, I guess, if you want. But I was saying, don't go there if they're gambling. Okay, put this up, brother. Let's listen to this. Does this have anything to do with what we just talked about? Okay. (laughs) Forget it, dude. Free, free Palestine. Okay. I'm sorry. I tried. The bottom line is this man calls himself another Jesus. What did John say? They weren't of us because if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. But they're going out from us, show that they never belong to us. Let me tell you something that's even more tricky than this Jesus of Puerto Rico is pastors right now in Christian churches that are beginning to twist the gospel. I have to warn you as a pastor because, you see, John warned his people not to get tricked into believing these other people claiming to be Christ. In the day of John, there was a group called the Gnostics. Everybody say the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed this. This is what they believed. The flesh was sinful. The spirit was good. Well, that sounds right. Then they went one step further. You can sin as much as you want in your flesh as long as you love God in your spirit. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Gnostics actually believed that, and they would teach people it's okay to sin. It's okay to do what you want. As long as you love him in here, you can do what you want. And that is a new form right now coming all across our churches. You will hear pastors talk to you as if you're never going to stop sinning. It's okay. You know why? Because the pastor's sinning too. The pastor's doing it too. And he doesn't want to teach you to try to live without sin because that would mean he would have to live without sin. And then what do they say? Don't judge me because God only knows my... Come on, you know the argument. You can't judge me. Only God knows my... Now John says those people are... Because if you have a good heart, you're going to walk right, you're going to live right, and if you say that you're really a Christian, you're going to be different than this world. Amen? And anybody who teaches you that you can live this way and have a good heart, they are an antichrist. Oh, you got to get that. I said they're an antichrist. When you see pastors that are twisting that gospel, they are anti-God, antichrist. Let's go to verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So everybody here, I think, should know the truth. Amen? I think most of you already do know the truth because you've been being taught, and John had the same uh, uh, confidence in his people. That anointing is what comes from the Holy One, which is Jesus, and he lives in us. Now look at verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do it, you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So he's saying, I'm writing you these things because you already know it to remind you. Verse 22, who is a liar? I love, I love John. He's called people liars like about five times already. Amen. He just loves it. You're a liar because you tell lies. Amen. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is the man who denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father as well. Now let me just say this to you real quick, because there's some people that would say, oh yeah, well I believe Jesus is the Christ, and then they'll teach a whole bunch of crazy things. Like Mormons believe Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses will say this, but you have to understand this right here. He says if you, acknowledge, if you deny this, you're an antichrist. But then in verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The acknowledgement of the Son is acknowledging who he is. When Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus is the archangel Michael, who is a God, lowercase g God, and the Father is a big God, they're two separate beings. Jesus is an angel. That's what they believe, that Jesus was an angel. He came down as a man. He's the archangel Michael. Are you all listening to me? This is the truth. Anybody who knows it knows I'm telling the truth. You're not acknowledging Jesus. They could say the words, oh, oh, yeah, we want to come in your house, knock, knock, knock. Here we got a Bible study, watchtower. Hey, we believe Jesus is the Christ. We're, we're all down with that. See, they can say the words, but they're not acknowledging who he is. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Many of you don't even know that Muslims will acknowledge Jesus as the Christ because they believe he's a prophet. They'll interpret the word Christ to be a prophet, but they do not acknowledge him as deity worthy to be worshipped. Mormons will acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, but then they will say that there are many gods along with Jesus. So he's God. They go one step further than Jehovah Witnesses. They'll make him God. But then now they go one step further than us, and now they say there's many gods. You see, you have to acknowledge who he is. You can't make up another definition for who Jesus is. You have to acknowledge who he is. That's why in discipleship class we teach you these things. And if you haven't signed up for our discipleship class, you need to do so. Amen? You need to be taught the sound doctrine so that you don't get tricked into following pastors that are teaching you it's okay to sin and it's okay to keep living an ungodly lifestyle and that you don't follow other teachers that are teaching you they believe in Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. Amen? This whole point right here I'm saying to you, people, The same warning he gave to his children, I'm giving to my children right here. Amen. The warning is be careful because antichrists are here. There's going to be one major antichrist that's going to deceive the whole world, but there are many little antichrists running around. Don't follow them. Amen. If a TV preacher tells you if you send me X amount of dollars, you'll get a miracle, don't follow him. Amen. If you hear a Bible teacher teaching you that Jesus is someone other than the second person of the Godhead, the the, uh, the Spirit, the Father and the Son, if those are not the, the one God, then don't follow him. If people teach you anything different than what you've heard up until this point, don't follow them. They are against Christ. Amen? Praise God. We're in closing right now. I think we'll stop at these last few verses. So let's stand up together. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen? Band, why don't you come forward, please? Let's worship God a little bit in closing today. Just keep your Bibles open if you can. We're going to finish in chapter 2. And next week, here's your homework. So write it down if you think you'll forget. Read chapters 3, 4, and 5. How many can make that your homework this week? Amen? Okay, about 10 of you. How about the rest of you? Okay, praise God. Read your Bible. It's going to be a blessing to you and to those around you. Hallelujah. Look at verse 24. See that when you heard from the beginning remains in you. See what what you heard from the beginning remains in you. That's my encouragement to you today. See that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. God loves you. He died on the cross for you so that you would be saved. Have a relationship with the Father and the Son. That you would have eternal life every day of your life till you get with Him in heaven. And that you would follow his commands every day. If you say, man, I I, I stumble, I fall. Well, come and repent. Come be the Porsche 911 God called you to be. Amen. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. So if you do this, you're going to remain with the Father and the Son. And this is what he promised us, even what? Oh, come on, I need about one more person to help me out. I only had one, rather. And this is what he promised us even eternal life. So if you hold on to the right thing, you do the right thing, you have eternal life. And remember, we learned that eternal life is actually even a person, Jesus. We learned that before. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. There's a lot of people trying to lead you astray today. Like never before, I feel a burden as a pastor to guard the flock. Because I see so many people trying to lead other people astray. We've seen people come into our church, have ill feelings and do things wrong, and they try to lead other people astray. Try to lead some of our Bible college students away from studying the Bible. Others of you, you have friends that don't come to church and they're trying to lead you astray saying oh you can still sin hey you know my church teaches me a little different we're all sinners i go to confession or i just show up on sundays it's okay and they're trying to tell you that what we're teaching you here is not right and they want to lead you astray others of you have maybe had your own doubts at different times Maybe you've questioned, why am I here? What is God doing? Is the Bible real? You know, and maybe you searched on the Internet, and maybe you confused yourself a little bit. 
Don't get led astray. This is the truth. If you have questions, come to us. We will help you. We'll, we'll sit down with you as long as it takes. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And some people would say right here, well, that means I don't need a pastor. That means I don't need to go to church. I already know everything I need to know. Well, that would be kind of contradictory because John is teaching them right there. <laughs> How could he be teaching them not to have a teacher, right? You know, it's like they shut the book, they stop reading. It's like, why did you write, you know, three more chapters? No, 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 that's not what his point is. His point is you don't need anybody over there on the outside the ones leading you astray at their time, the Gnostics. You don't need the Gnostics, the Antichrist, to come and teach you anything. You, you know, we didn't hear the Jesus of Puerto Rico, and that's okay because we don't need him to teach us anything. That's what he's talking about. He's saying because what remains in you is the truth that you had believed earlier. That's what he's talking about. Remember, he's not contradicting himself. Look at verse 24. See what you have heard remains in you what you've heard from the beginning remains in you so that what they've heard is what supersedes what others are trying to teach them is that get in your heart right today you all get that so in review today what did we learn we learned that number one that john is an awesome disciple he is the pastor of love the beloved we also learned that john in the beginning of his letter glorifies jesus as the word of life eternal life and he says it's all about fellowship with him that's what life is all about number two he declared that in god is light and there is no darkness and those who fellowship with him don't have darkness so there's no excuse for the shadow in the dark areas of our life let jesus christ shine in you then we learn that sin is dealt with because jesus christ was righteous and we're not a 68 chevy being remodeled the rest of our lives but matter of fact we're born again his Porsche 911s being taught how to live for Jesus but if we get a flat he fixes us amen but if we're not careful that flat turns into a dent and the dent turns into a bigger wreck and the Bible says you could wreck the whole thing so don't live in sin obey him if you love him amen then the Bible goes on to teach you that you're to walk as he walked, that you literally are to be a, a little Christ on this earth. You are to be a miniature Jesus walking around showing people who he is and what he's doing in your life You've also learned that you are to love your brother. You are to love people. And that if anger, if hatred, if bitterness, if you are dealing with unforgiveness, that will itself keep you out of heaven. You could do everything right, but if you hate your brother, he says you can't get in. you got to forgive and love everybody. Like I said, Jesus on the cross even said, Father, forgive them. You haven't gone through it that bad. Come on, forgive them in Jesus' name. We then learned an awesome poem, a hymn, a song of the first century church that they would sing, I'm forgiven. They would sing, I overcome the evil one. They would tell each other that the Father knows me and the Son knows me from the beginning, that I've been chosen and called out. We then learned the definition of the world and not to love it because if we do, we don't have the love of God in the world, has the cravings of a sinful nature, has the lust of eyes and the pride of life. Don't have it and do the will of God and you'll be happy. Amen. You'll be content. And then lastly, you learned that there are antichrists, that there are people trying to come against you that it's not an accident that at this time there's more people claiming to be jesus that there's more jehovah witnesses knocking at your door there's more mormons muslim islam grows faster in america than any other religion there is no coincidence because the antichrist spirit is attacking don't listen to them because you know the truth and now in closing verse 28 and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Come on, people, continue in Jesus. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Amen. Let's pray today. Father God, I thank you that you gave us your word. If you love Jesus, why don't you raise up your hands today and just tell him that you love him. We love you today, Lord.